feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter. This podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Hey, smart settlers. This is producer Paul, and I have the honor of introducing today's guest, Serena Qualia, a Toronto-based mixed-use urban development expert who was raised on an organic farm, became a professional dancer, and now integrates her experience and love for the arts into her leadership, collaboration, and team building in the professional world. Serena, thank you for joining us on the Settle Smarter podcast, where we explore conscious trade-offs around five life key facets, career, family, friendship, community, and well-being, and where you want to spend your time feeling exhilarated and energized, and where you want to dump spending time where you're feeling drained. You and I met in a very interesting, amazing way. Will you tell our audience a little bit about that? You and I attended a literary workshop with an amazing agent um, in Manhattan. And our subject matter converged in on every sentence and every conceptually and it was, we were kindred spirits that our energy A collided positively and B, there was definite integration in our, in our kind of core beliefs, I think. Yes. And the trade-offs we've had to make, including the masks that we sometimes wear at work and at home and out in the world in relationships. So would you give a little bit about your history in terms of being a professional dancer, another area we have intersections on, and what you're doing today as a kick-ass woman? Well, thank you. I, I, I danced like many, many young girls from a very young age. And uh, I started when I was four. I grew up on an organic farm and was very motivated by rustling leaves and swaying tall grass. And I just couldn't stop moving. So I pursued a bachelor of fine arts and dance at the university of Utah. Great, great program. Um, and a week after the week of graduation, actually, I, for the heck of it, went to Las Vegas, um, just to get audition experience because my, I was going to pursue a career in modern dance. So I thought, but I kept getting callbacks and callbacks and, um, you know, after a series of three or four trips back to Vegas, I was, I was chosen as an original cast member in, in EFX at the time. It was the largest production show ever produced in the United States. It was a $100 million show starring Michael Crawford, who was the original Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, and with uh, music scored and produced by Phil Ramone. So it was just next level everything. We had NASA technology to move the sets. We had dry ice. Like the HVAC system in our theater was so prolific it created its own weather systems, like it snowed on stage. So it was this most incredible experience ever, um, especially coming right out of school. And 
So unfortunately, I, I or, or fortunately, I'm I'm a Canadian. I was born in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen, and I was on a on an H one visa, on an artist visa. Um, and at the time, after the show, we you know we were I was performing. I had built a life there. It was an election year, and uh, my visa didn't get renewed. So, <laughs> so it was I I was had to face this this fork in the road. Um, do I pack up my life and return to Canada or do I continue to try to stay in the States, which I did because I had lived there for a long time. Um, but it wasn't to be. So I jumped on some cruise ships and auditioned for some other shows and, and ended up touring the world for about three and a half years. Um, until I, really my inner voice was just saying you must find a way to return back to your true love so i my true love being what i had experienced in terms of scope size theatricality architecture engineering feats at that show in las vegas so i looked for research programs and i ended up in toronto canada um, and I pursued a master's degree and it was an ethnography studying the convergence of the performing arts, the built form and technology. So really Dana, to your amazing, um, point and your amazing work, the work that you're doing, um, in your, in your writing and in your professional life, trying to identify convergence points that's what my master's was. So <laughs> I ended up um, taking that, the, the research that I learned, um, and that kind of funneled me into a career in, in real estate development. And I've been in real estate development now for 15 years in Toronto, um, in one of the most incredible bo growth booms um, ever. And I've had incredible success, and I really attribute that to integrating, to your point, what I learned in the dance studio and what I learned through auditioning and how I overcame rejection, how when my visa wasn't expired, you know, the adversity, the life change, the complete having to reinvent myself. But using, you know, the leadership skills, the collaborative skills, all the things that as a dancer and as a cast member, we learn. Perfect. That is an incredible introduction. And also, again, our intersections are kindred. Yeah. So let me take you back for a moment. And for our listeners that are either in that crossroads right now, are thinking back to their crossroads or anticipating the next crossroads because they happen all the time, right? There's yeah. the connection. When you weren't able to stay in your dance career and you needed to go back home in essence, yeah. did you reinvent yourself or tell us about that? You could have, you know, really gotten low, like some of us with career identity crisis, or you could make lemonade and you did even more than that. Tell us about that. At the time, well, I don't want to sugarcoat it. At the time it was devastated. I was devastated. Like, how do you go from being in the biggest show ever produced 
um, working with the level of, of artists and directors and, you know, talent up there. It was the top, it was the creme de la creme. How do you go from that to going back to a mountain town in Canada um, where my option was, you know, the summer stock festival with population 30. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, so, t- so I was angry. I was angry for, for years, like years, to be honest, I was angry. I was angry just at external, external, like what had happened. Um, and I think at that age I was young. So it was framed as why is this happening to me? You know, not why is this happening? But it was really, I really took it very, very personally. And it wasn't until, so did I have to reinvent myself? I, yes, because Las Vegas carries a lot of stigma, even though, you know, the best dancer, we, 65% of us had bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. Like these were accomplished, um, accomplished elite professionals scholastically as well as artistically. But when you say, especially in the nineties, when you say Las Vegas, people have ideas that you're topless dancer, etc. So it, there was a real cre- credibility issue. And so the first couple, when I finished my master's, at least I had that, um, that to hang my kind of hat on. But when I entered the workforce, um, first as an entre- in an entrepreneurial sense, uh, running my own production company, doing staging shows for corporate events for large clients like Beer and BMW and uh, Motorola, I was told actually never, ever, ever, ever admit or tell anyone that you danced in Las Vegas. So it was the biggest accomplishment of my life and I couldn't use it back then um, to A, gain entrance, B, leverage it, C, talk about it. Um, and I didn't have an MBA, you know, to compete with, with the other kinds of competitors in my field at that time. So I really, to use, to use, you know, some of, to, to loop back to some of the work that you're di- doing, Dana, I really did put a mask on and I really was disingenuous to myself because that's what I thought <laughs> the market demanded. And that's what I felt I needed to do to gain entrance way to, you know, into these past the gatekeepers. So I could pitch. So people wouldn't just think, because this was pre Harvey Weinstein. Oh, she just, you know, cast and couched her way into this office. She couldn't possibly have a brain because she was, she danced in Vegas. So yes, to answer your question, I put a mask on. Was it detrimental? It was enormously detrimental to me emotionally. And it wasn't until, you know, 20, 10 years later, after a number of actually nine 11, actually it was nine 11, unfortunately. And fortunately, um, I had a lot of American clients that I was producing experiential marketing these events for. And then when 9-11 happened, all the budgets shrunk, right? Like no one was flying into Toronto 
to, um, to travel, to do leadership conventions, these sorts of things. So it was at that moment in October, I needed a huge cash infusion into my little fledgling production company, which wasn't going to happen. So I said, I have this amazing master's degree. I had, I've studied the convergence of business, commerce, technology, um, entrepreneurial spirit, and I'm going to go back. I'm going to go into where I know there's more certainty than many other industry sectors. And that was real estate development. And so it was actually turning that adversity. Why is this? Instead of why is this happening to me? It then became why is this happening to me? Oh, yeah. So let's pause there for a minute and let's discover a little bit more together. And on behalf of our listeners, yeah. what is your what? is this moment. So I'd like our listeners for a moment to think about that for themselves because people like us, in this case, women who have danced, women who have succeeded and crusaded in their careers. And this is for men and women, by the way. When we are faced with the involuntary choice because sometimes this stuff happens to you, not because of you. We either go into design mode or default mode. Hey, you guys, it's Paul over here. And um, I definitely think I had some experience with this one. So I'd like to share a personal career anecdote. And then if um, Dana could say a bit more about design versus default, I think that would be really educational for our listeners. My story is I was working in the early music internet space. So this is about 1998 to 2001, um, the birth of products like Rhapsody, which was a precursor to something like Spotify. And uh, there was a mini crash, actually, in the technology space in 2001. It didn't compare, of course, to the global crash in 2008, but it was a big deal if you had a tech job, especially in the Bay Area. So as I tried to kind of hit Craigslist and look for another dream job in the music technology space, I realized there really weren't any. And um, we had a one-year-old at home And my wife had brought him to music classes for parents with young children. And so, as it turned out, I decided I would throw the mix in the air, as it were, and I took a teacher training for that music program. Well, as it turned out, there was actually a mini baby boom at that time. Uh, in the Bay Area, and I began offering those classes to young families in San Francisco. And I went from uh, three classes a week to 17 classes uh, to almost 50 classes with 10 teachers and 10 locations. The business has run for 20 years. We've served 20,000 students in the Bay Area with early childhood music, and it's uh, still running and doing well. So that's my little anecdote about Uh, design versus default. Serena went into big time design mode. And for our STEM people, you know, when she says she's blending 
technology and the way people and companies and business thrive and intersect. She's got a lead uh, green initiative that she's passionate about. She'll talk about in a minute and the way a mixed use community comes together. She's blended all of these things into making her settling smarter decision instead of letting it take her all the way down, recognizing, and I appreciate your honesty, we're all about authenticity here. Sometimes we get pretty low when things happen to us and not because of us. So tell us about a mixed-use community. Let's talk about what that is. Not all of our listeners will know. Can you explain it? Yes. A mixed-use community in pre-construction real estate is when a developer will buy a piece of land um, and there are a multiple of uses. So part could be a percentage of that piece of land could be designated to residential construction. So in Toronto, we are a highly high density city. We we're, we're situated between Lake Ontario and a green belt. So the only way we can develop is up. So high rise residential, uh, there will be a, a commercial component. So office space, there will be retail. So coffee shops and stores at grade. So at the, at the pedestrian level, there might be a, a park, a green element. There might be a daycare. There might be a school. There might be, um, you know, incubators for like sidewalk labs is a great example. They are working with the city of Toronto to create a city of the future, which mixed use means many, many multiple uses, not what you see in subdivisions outside of major urban centers where it's all single detached homes. When there might be one little daycare, it's multiple, multi-generational, multicultural, multi um, socioeconomics are at play here. And it totally speaks to Dana, the work that you're doing in convergence and integration, the practical application of that. We do not exist in silos where we work, where we live in, in urban centers. I, I can't speak to all contexts, but in large urban centers, there are, there are a multitude of there there are many things going on simultaneously and mixed use communities capture, um, capture that. So as an artist, artists have such a unique, um, perspective on understanding, you know, the, that the, how, how many different people work because when you are part of a cast or when you work with other artists, there, it's a blending of producers and editors and, and people who musicians and choreographers and the money, like the executive producers, and all working simultaneously to create the greatest end possible product. So my so so that's that's the long answer of what mixed use is and, and why artists. Uh, and people with diverse back that come from diverse backgrounds and people that have diverse perspectives and diverse 
um, life experiences can really provide an an advantage to the conception and execution of these projects. The end result won't be monotonous, all look the same, all have the same retail, all have four white walls, all have cement floors. It's multi-layered. with all your experience and all of these vantage points, more empowered today to bring in your professional dancing background as an asset or not? Absolutely, Dana. Where the decision makers and the C-suite used to think, well, you couldn't possibly be a good business person with an arts background because arts are so airy fairy and they're not tied to revenue the i think now and i advocate now that's my part of what i do it's the exact opposite now it is because i am an artist that i am a super successful business person <laughs> and i see that in my day-to-day work architects and spatial you know how they look at spatial relations and interior designers and you know Code consultants, as dry as that can be, like the people who have to measure where the fire fire doors are going, they are now sitting at the table where we're having open collaborative dialogues to try to achieve, because a lot of these projects take seven years, 10 years to build from the point of that we're sitting at the table to when the last you know tenant is sitting at their desk in a constructed environment. So we're actually future thinking and it really blending all of these disciplines together is, it didn't happen when I entered the real estate business in uh, about 15, 16 years ago, but at every boardroom table now um, and every meeting and projects, project scope includes so many different disciplines. It's, it's really incredible to see. So in the very short time we have left, you have unpacked wisdom, uh, beauty, intersections, your own journey, some sage wisdom for our listeners that are most likely also struggling with how they take the mask off and really bring their whole self to work. So I would like to do a quick lightning round. I'm going to ask you a couple quick yes or no questions, and then we're going to move into the end of each chapter of my book. We play fact versus fiction, and let's see if we can wrap up with a little more punchy advice for our listeners. So this is power packed. Are you good with that? Amazing, Dana. Thank you. Okay, Serena, here we go. So just a quick couple of yes or no's. Uh, Yes or no, you feel valued in the work you're doing today. Yes. Yes or no, you feel like you're getting to the point where you can share your story, your what is it with others. Yes. If you were to give advice to your younger self 25 years ago, would you tell yourself it's going to work out beautifully, yes or no? Yes. That's a tough one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's like, what is there another option? How about maybe <laughs> or eventually or whatever? Okay. Let's move into fact versus fiction. 
in the book, I talk about there are little Fs in failure, experimentation, which you talked about, and there are big Fs in failure. So if you have a series of little Fs that you're done, if you have a series of little Fs, fact or fiction? Super, super duper fiction. <laughs> little F failures are the most robust places to figure out how to ter- make turn those into a positive. You know, because I think too that that's ugly, icky, painful places are actually what also connect us. They make us relatable. They 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 um, show us the pain points that all humans experience. So in in example, my line of work, we can address those pain points to alleviate them for the people that are going to live in our buildings or need access to services, etc. So little F's are take every little F you get (laughs) and be grateful for it because it's a learning. It's great opportunity to learn. You're doing amazing. So if you are to consciously trade off joy producing value and being valued-based activities, even if it means a little less work, that's a good thing, fact or fiction? That's a fact. Yeah. Learned over time, right? Yeah. And then the final one is, let's say you're hyperproductive, running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, doing it all, going for it, and unbelievable results. You will not burn out fact or fiction. (laughs) That you will burn out. So Absolutely. it's fiction, isn't it's it? Fiction. Yeah. 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 Yes. So you have been an amazing guest. We are beyond grateful and we look forward to having further dialogue with you and continuing to follow your incredible journey to settle smarter. Well, thank you so much for all the time and effort that you are contributing to this super important professional and personal development sphere for, for women and men. And it's, it's, help so many people like myself. So thank you, Dana. Oh my gosh. It's my passion work and may everyone believe that they can take that mask off. Thank you, Serena. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look, Arimoto, and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.